Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Coming up on the What's Chad Doing podcast, we're going to talk with an American hero, Captain Sully Sullenberger. One of the most trusted voices in Portland radio for more than a decade, Chad Doing. Thanks once again for your time, for joining the What's Chad Doing podcast, and today is an absolute treat. We get a chance to talk to a true American hero, Captain Sully Sullenberger, who back in January 2009 successfully landed U.S. Airways Flight 1549 on the Hudson River, saving all 155 souls that were on board the plane. He is a incredible individual, a great leader, and someone who is very cool under fire. In fact, Michael Bloomberg at the time, New York City mayor, uh, gave him the title Captain Cool. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. He's now moving on and speaking. He's an author. He's got a book out, and he's going around the world helping people understand what it means to be a true leader in reaching out and helping the people around them. And this is a guy that I think we can all look towards in terms of, hey, I want to pursue life the way Captain Sully does. I want to help people, to love people, and to care for people the way that Captain Sully does. And we start out going back to his early days uh, when he first discovered his love of air travel. You know, you grew up in Denison, Texas, and uh, your love for flying started at an early age with model airplanes and aircraft carriers. And also, I, I guess there was a nearby military base. Talk about how, you know, these planes at an early age captured your imagination. Yeah, I think after a brief uh, fascination with the idea of being a policeman or a firefighter, by the age of five, I knew I was going to spend my life flying airplanes, and then I was actually able to do it. So it was I spent my whole life you know, pursuing my passion. A huge advantage. It's Captain Sully Sullenberger with us here on the program. Your background is interesting. You've got a Bachelor of Science degree from the U.S. Air Force Academy, a Master's degree in Industrial Psychology from Purdue, and a Master's degree in Public Administration from the University of Northern Colorado. What, what was the thinking behind such a diverse education? Uh, you know, I, I, the Air Force is a big believer in continuing education, and I, I think that's critical for each of us now, you know, especially as the the pace of change, you know, socially, economically, technologically only increases. I think most people can't get through an entire working lifetime with only one skill set now. We have to be continuous, lifelong learners. We have to keep reinventing ourselves. You know, what's it like? You've uh, been a, an accident investigator for the NTSB. That would seem like a very interesting but yet detailed job. What's that like? Well, if I was on the Survival Factors Group, and I helped with some investigations in the early 1990s where there were fatalities. And it was a very difficult job. What we did was to try to learn from this and, and prevent it from happening again. And we had to interview surviving passengers about what their experiences were. Uh, you know, did their procedures work? Did the information that you had uh, suffice? Had you paid attention to the safety demonstration? Did you read the briefing card? And uh, people, some of my colleagues, did that same job on Flight 1549's investigation. And what we found out was pretty typical. Of the 150 passengers, only 12 had paid attention or read the card. Um, and, and I think that uh, people who fly all the time assume that they'll never need that information. And, uh, and they're often surprised when they do. So it's, it's uh, you know, there, there are 
flight attendants who prepare for your safety all the time, but there are not enough flight attendants to guide each one of you individually. So it's your, it's really your responsibility to take charge and, and save yourself and know how to do it. It's Captain Sullenberger with us here on the program. Take us back to that January day. You know, your flight takes off from New York. It then sustains damage from Canadian geese that I guess flew right into the engines. The quote that I read that you said that was that really captured my my thoughts, it said, when you said it was chilling, the silence of the plane with no engines working, you said it was shocking. Oh, it was. And uh, the, I learned later that the uh, the cabin was as quiet as a library. You could hear a pin drop. Um, but it wasn't until we got closer to the water that people were especially concerned. At first, that they assumed that we had lost only thrust in one engine and we were returning to a runway. Of course, that wasn't possible. Uh, but uh, the passengers behaved very well, and the flight attendants training kicked in. And even though this was a, a situation for which we'd never specifically trained to lose the thrust on both engines at such a low altitude, ending in a water landing, um, it's it's something that everyone did their jobs exceptionally well. So when the plane lost power in both engines, did you know what you would be capable of uh, doing in terms of maneuvering, or was this all kind of uh, trial and error? Well, the the flying of the airplane itself, maintaining control, was something that was very intuitive to me from having done it my whole life. But landing an airliner in the water is not something we're able to practice. Our flight simulators are not capable of replicating that. And so, believe it or not, the only training for a water landing we had ever gotten was a theoretical classroom discussion. So my first officer, Jeff Scott, and I found ourselves in a situation where we had, it turns out, 208 seconds from the time we lost the thrust until we had landed in order in which to solve this problem we'd never seen before. And so it required a very disciplined thinking, a, dis- a total elimination of all distraction, and uh, the ability to suppress our body's normal physiological stress response to be able to do that. Well, that's that's what amazes me. So you make the decision to land the plane in water. I mean, what's the conversation like in the cockpit? Are you guys talking? Is it quiet? Are you praying? I mean, are you nervous? What's going on at that moment in that 208 seconds? Well, the time pressure and the workload were so extreme, there was no time for a conversation. Jeff and I never talked about it. There wasn't time to do that. So what I had to rely upon him doing, and fortunately he was highly experienced and so he was able to do this, was to, on his own, understand this developing situation as I did, to hear my conversation with the air traffic controller and infer my intent from that. And uh, he did that very well. And as, as a matter of fact, I didn't have time to direct him other than to call for the checklist. And later in the flight, when I was approaching the point at which I had to, to do the final critical maneuver, which was to decide at what height to begin the landing, to begin raising the nose. And that was critical. If I did it too early, to too high a height, we'd get too slow and hit too hard. If I did it too late, we wouldn't get the nose up enough and hit too hard. And so Jeff knew uh, to shift his focus from trying to regain thrust from the, it turns out, irreparably damaged engines and instead help me in judging that height by calling out to me at altitude and airspeed. So um, we did a lot of collaboration wordlessly, it turns out, because of our training and our, our responsibilities that we understood so well. It's Captain Sully Sullenberger with us here on the program. What was the biggest life lesson that you learned from Flight 1549? That it was things I'd done decades before on a daily basis that allowed us to do that, what we did. It was, it was the professionalism, the dedication, the, the, the intellectual curiosity, the, the constant learning, the constant preparation for whatever might happen that prepared us for this novel situation that we've never specifically trained for. And I think that's true in each of our lives. And and all these dozen people I talked to that I've had the ability to interview because of the flight three years ago, people that have accomplished so much and touched many people's lives, they each share 
common values and common techniques that they use to make their lives and other lives better. And these are things that we can all learn to do. Now, Captain, in your new book, Making a Difference, Stories of Vision and Courage from America's Leaders, which is available now, who, talk about some of the uh, individuals you spoke with, the people that stood out that will really make your book uh, a difference maker. Well, the first one I profile uh, is Admiral Thad Allen, former Coast Guard Commandant who was brought in in the darkest hours of the initial federal response to Hurricane Katrina, and in a very strong example of of leadership by personal example. He encounters several thousand of these relief workers who have just been beat up on in the press, who are totally demoralized. It's it's chaotic. Everyone's kind of working individually. And he gathers as many of them together in one place as he can, in the the first floor of this one large building. He has 2,500 people gathered together, all looking up to him for guidance. Um, He stands on top of a desk, grabs a microphone, and says to them, I want you to listen to me. I'm going to give you a direct order. I want you to treat everyone you come in contact with in this recovery effort as if they were a member of your immediate family, as if they were your father or mother or brother or sister. And if you do that, then two things are going to happen. First, if you make a mistake, you'll probably err on the side of doing too much, not too little. And second, if anyone has a problem with anything you've done, then their problem is with me and not with you. And he said you could hear a huge collective sigh come from everyone in this building. People actually began to weep because nobody had told them before that what they were doing was important or why or how to do it or that their boss was behind them. And in a very simple but direct way, he was able to do that and to give them hope. And through the power of his leadership, he he responded to the Deepwater Horizons bill and led the earthquake recovery in, in Haiti. Now, one of the uh, concepts you discuss in the book is genuine leadership. What is that, and what are the keys to achieving it, Captain? You know, there are so many people who do that in, in different ways, but they all are people who are willing to share a cause greater than themselves and not just their own personal needs. They're, they're people who have real core values and then choose actually to act on them on a daily basis and make it apparent what their the beliefs are without having to tell you. People like Gene Kranz, a former NASA flight director during the Gemini Apollo programs who helped return safely to the endangered Apollo 13 flight. Um, Tammy Duckworth, Army colonel who, uh, in, as a helicopter pilot in Iraq, had been shot down, had lost both her legs and the use of one arm but remained optimistic and courageous and uh, recently uh, an assistant secretary for the Veterans Affairs Department. Uh, Of course, Tony La Russa, the legendary baseball manager who uh, recently led the St. Louis Cardinals to the World Series, who talks about how in this age of uh, senses of entitlement, often in in professional sports, he creates, along with his coaches, a, a, a culture of respect and trust and makes a very personal connection with his players so that each of them can be a member of the team and be the go-to guy, um, and it pays off with great dividends. People like Robert Rush, the former Labor Secretary, whose, whose uh, conversation was by far the most intellectually stimulating, a very, a very brilliant man who, who knows exactly how the economy works and, and who's winning and who loses, who's losing and, and how we each need to think of government jobs not just as being a politician but as being what seemed like an obsolete term now, but how he thinks of it is, is public service, which he means by literally serving the public. Um, one name you probably never have heard of, but through my patient safety work and applying what we've learned in aviation safety to medicine, I met uh, a woman named Sue Sheridan, who is a mom, a mother of two from Boise, Idaho, whose family endured two 
awful and preventable medical tragedies, but who, instead of just being devastated by it, has educated herself, has gained allies, and become a world-recognized patient safety advocate helping to improve the, the care for newborns globally. So each of these people has risen to a challenge and, and sometimes become a leader by accident, but all of them have done it in a very genuine way with, with real skills that each of us can learn to do. Hey, uh, Captain, final question for you, and I ask this question a lot on the show. Leaders, are they born or are they made? Where do you stand on this? You know, of the, all the ones that I interviewed, I think only Bill Braddon, the, the former New York City police commissioner, was was one who really thought of himself as a leader from a very early age, was very ambitious and, and took specific steps to get to certain specific goals. Everyone else, um, it was a process. It's a, a matter of personal growth and personal learning. And I think leaders, for the most part, are, are made. We have people that we admire and we we emulate. We have mentors who help us. But if we if we continue to learn and to grow, um, then we can become leaders. And, and even if we're already a leader, um, even if we don't have a big job or a, a fancy title, we can find new ways to make a difference in people's lives. And, and that's something that all of us can do. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Captain, I really appreciate your time on the program this morning. The new book is available now, and I encourage you to check it out, Making a Difference, Stories of Vision and Courage from America's Leaders. It's Captain Sully Sullenberger with us here on the program. Captain, thanks for your time. And uh, you are an American hero, and I love this story. And uh, thanks for sharing your thoughts. Great being with you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the What's Chad Doing podcast on the iHeartRadio app. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.